Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media with me, Russell Brand. This week I spoke with Michael Singer. Michael Allen Singer, although he called himself Mickey a couple of times during the podcast, is a best-selling author, meditation centre founder and former software programmer. His two books, The Untethered Soul and The Surrender Experiment, were New York Times bestsellers. I've read them both. I didn't know that there was his only... Well, I think he, do you reckon he's written other ones? Because... I had the continual thought that I should have been should have read more books, and that he didn't believe that I'd read the ones that I had read. Like, because uh, like you'll love this podcast. It's a cool thing, you know. It's a real. It's a, oh, look, look at that! The Search for Truth, nineteen seventy four essays on universal law. Maybe I should get in there and read them because I love the two that I have already read. Yeah, he's an awakened, enlightened uh, master, you might say, and uh, like he's a really good podcast. It's a really, really good podcast. If you listen to it, you'll you'll get some you'll get some juice. You'll get some uh, you'll get some chi. You'll get a zap. You'll get a zap out of it. Uh, in 1975, the year I was born, by coincidence, he founded the Temple of the Universe, a long-established yoga and meditation centre for people of any religion or belief to experience inner peace. Oh, I think I might pop down. I'd love a bit of inner peace, wouldn't you? And um, I read his book because Oprah Winfrey told me to. Yeah, that's right. I hang out with Oprah Winfrey all the time. It was just one of the many days that I was hanging out with Oprah Winfrey. Now, I met her, I went on her show, and like, and Oprah Winfrey goes, read this book. So I read it, and it's untethered soul. It's, you know, it's amazing. And then... Uh, the Surrender Experiment, the subsequent book, is brilliant also. So listen, I'm coming to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and this country that I'm in now, America, with my new show, Recovery Live. Extra shows have been added in Melbourne, Sydney, and Auckland, and so you can get tickets in those places. The rest of it's, I think, pretty much sold out, but go online to russellbrand.com. Also, get on the mailing list. Go there, get on that mailing list. You'll get regular emails from me. Then it'll get annoying. You know, you'll try to unsubscribe, but you won't be able to because we've made it really. No, no, you it's really easy to unsubscribe. Just subscribe to it. Go on my YouTube channel, get some vlogs, blogs, all that kind of stuff. You'll love all that. And uh, what else did I want to tell you? Oh yeah, get in touch with me if you want social media. Rusty Rockets on Twitter with a hashtag under the skin, or on Instagram, I'm Russell Brand, and I'm Russell Brand everywhere else. TikTok, LinkedIn, follow me everywhere, so I get the temporary rush of seeing a number getting bigger. Okay then, this, uh, should we go into Michael Singer? We ain't got any comments because we're recording these things in a block. So we're just going straight into Michael Singer now. You're going to love this. This is uh, an, enlightened, an enlightened dude. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? Welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Michael Singer, thank you so much for joining me on Under the Skin. It's an honor. I look forward to talking to you. I'm honored that you found the time. I feel it uh, is appropriate to start with how I first heard of your work and the nature of the recommendation because it involves such a wonderful name drop that uh, it's unavoidable. I, I went on Oprah Winfrey's show and asked her if there's anything I should read and she said yes read Untethered Soul particularly chapter six and chapter eight and then I'd like then she sent me Untethered Soul with like some like gold embossed Oprah Winfrey slip note thing that was nicer than any slip note thing I'd ever seen before and I obviously read the book because I feel like if Oprah Winfrey tells you to read something you you read that thing and that's that and uh, I enjoyed the book and funny enough today has been a day where one of the an analogies that you built uh, in the book about 
how the ego is comparable to defending a point of vulnerability anatomically and you might build a very complex structure around it. Um, I, I wonder how, with regard to some of those, some of the lessons in Untethered Soul, whether you have, whether you are, uh, have subsequently changed, evolved any of those ideas or are they sort of perennial and still feel as true and real to you now? Yeah, I spend my life trying to live them. That's uh, what I work with. They're, they're, always set your, your goals way higher than you can get to and keep going. So that's the Untethered Soul is, is the clearest <clears throat> that I've ever visioned at all at any moment. And I try to live my entire life at that level. So nothing's changed. It still is the, the highest state. How did you find yourself deviating from the de facto path of most people that live in the kind of countries that you and I are from, America, England, of uh, dedicating your life essentially to individualistic success and material success? How, what, at what point did you depart from that idea? How did it happen? Right. Well, I, I tell that story in the surrender experiment, which you said you'd, you'd read. And it was, you know, how do you explain this sort of thing? Why these sort of things happen? That I was sitting on a couch, which I'm sure you've done plenty of times, <clears throat> talking to a friend, and there was that awkward moment where there was nothing to say, right? And you're both just sitting there and it's quiet. <clears throat> and it should be comfortable, but it wasn't comfortable. And instead of being uncomfortable, as I normally would be, this is back, I was uh, first year of graduate school in college. And instead of being uncomfortable and literally doing this, somehow, for some reason, I found myself noticing that I was uncomfortable. Now, it sounds like the same thing. If, you, you, if you're uncomfortable, you notice you're uncomfortable. But this time, I noticed that I noticed that I was uncomfortable. That's all I can say. So somehow, my awareness, <clears throat> excuse me, was back, back here a little bit, back behind where I normally sit. And I watched Mickey trying to figure out what to say, right? Oh, is the weather like today? Or do you want to go get a pizza? Anything to break this uncomfortableness that I was feeling, all right? And I have no idea whether he was feeling it too, but it was just, a it wasn't anything extreme. It was just that natural ego, you know, little control over the situation, et cetera. And so I watched it for a while. And at some point I just said to him, <clears throat> have you ever noticed there's a voice talking inside your head? Have you ever noticed that it isn't comfortable? To which he stopped for a moment, looked at me and said, yeah, that's going on inside of me right now. And that was that awakening that I never came back from that. And that's the truth. I was wow. 22 years old and I became, you know, you're a very intelligent and passionate person. You become passionate about something. It became my whole life. What did? What in the world is that voice? Why is it talking? Obviously, it's me talking to me. Why am I doing that? You understand that? In other words, I'm the only one in there. Who's talking to who? And I just spent really devoted the rest of my life to that journey. And it's taken me a long ways. What the, were the, I have read your book, as a matter of fact, both Untethered Soul and Surrender Experiment, just in case anyone listening thought that the way you said 
you said you've read my book, was in some way inquiring or <laughs> accusatory. I would like to take the stand and reiterate that I've read it. But for the purposes of the interview, I'm recovering some of uh, the territory, although I'm sure there's things that I, I no longer remember. There are things, Michael, that um, interest me when you say that. Is like, I, of course, recognise I, I live at that interface. I live at that interface today with most of my interactions, like whether it's a, if I'm at a a 12-step meeting or if I'm eating with people out for dinner with friends and my wife last night, that I sometimes feel at odds with the noticing that I'm noticing and the requirements of uh, social engagement or the requirements of economic life. Uh, It makes me feel like I understand why many people disconnect from that voice in various ways or disconnect from that awareness rather in various ways because it sometimes seems at odds with civilized conventional conformist life right well that that's that's what the surrender experiment in my life was all about which was when i was you know 22 23 years old i realized that that voice was running my life and that's what you're saying if it wasn't comfortable, I left. If it, you know, whatever it was, it was determining what I said. It was determining how I acted. It was determining everything about my life. And yet I didn't know a thing about that voice. Why was it saying what it was saying? Why, why is it like one person and not another? Because when you like somebody, your voice says, I like her. <laughs> so where did that come <laughs> from, right? And if all of a sudden it said, no, I don't think so. I don't think, then you don't. It's like telling you and your emotions go along with it. And it's this whole psychological system that's going on inside. So I made the decision, not, and, and I'm not saying people should, right? But it's nice to share <clears throat> that I wasn't going to live my life without understanding what was going on. Because it didn't make sense, okay? And it had already caused a lot of trouble in my life, just like it does everybody else's, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, your relationship is so hard and everything else and changing jobs. It just decides, I don't like my boss. I don't like the boss anymore. It's telling you that. Why didn't it just say, I like the boss? Like, no one actually pays attention to how much control it has over your life or why it's saying what it's saying. So, what I did was to say, I'm going to take a little sabbatical hiatus, about a year or so, I, I meant to put aside, and devote my life to watching that voice and figuring out why it says what it says, what is my relationship to it. And I, in essence, dropped out. I don't like teaching that now because people shouldn't drop out. I mean, not they shouldn't, but they don't need to. And I'm not teaching them to, right? But I did. I was, a, it was a, I think, you know, I was in a doctoral program for economics at the university. And last year, ready to get my doctorate, and I stepped aside and went into solitude, pr- relative solitude. And I watched very, very carefully. And what I saw made me more uncomfortable than what you were talking about, right? Like watching it, when it was in its glory, because you know you pull yourself aside, it's going to say a lot of stuff, made me realize, I don't want to listen to that thing. That thing's crazy. It just changes mind all the time. It says this, it says that. Like the reason people drink and do drugs is because that thing's driving them crazy. Do you understand that? You're trying to get away from that inner mess that's going on inside. So basically, over the course of many years, I started an experiment, which was, what would happen if I didn't listen to that? What does that mean? It, it tells you what to do, and so on. Well, what if I listen to life instead? And that's very subtle. What if the events unfolding in front of me were more important than whether I liked them or not? And I was willing to listen 
if I'm meeting this person, perhaps it has some meaning. The fact that I'm not comfortable with them maybe has no meaning, right? And I started practicing letting go of myself instead of letting go of what it told me to. And, and sometimes it told me to do something. Sometimes I wouldn't do it. And what I got was as follows. Just because it told me to do it is not going to be the reason I do it. Just because it told me not to do it is, or that it doesn't like it is not going to be the reason I don't do it. That doesn't mean that I'm doing or not doing. I will let life, the unfolding of life, the circumstances that unfold in front of me, talk to me instead of that thing talking to me. So that, that's the basics of what I call surrender. You're not surrendering to life. You're not surrendering to people. You're not saying yes to everything. You're just basically saying, my head doesn't know what it's talking about. <clears throat> it's just a bunch of noise. He's making a little allergies. It's just a bunch of noise. And I'm better off not listening to that personal noise. doesn't mean intellectually, if I'm solving a math problem or I'm trying to decide, you know, create air conditioning or building. I, I built for a while, reading plans and so on. The mind's wonderful for that. I'm talking about the personal mind. I like this. I don't like that. I believe in this. I don't believe in that. I want this to happen. Oh, my God, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I'll die if it rains. That kind of junk. Just the personal noise that instead of honoring and respecting life is judging it and trying to tell me how to make life be my way instead of my respecting that life took 13.8 billion years to get here. That's, wow. that's a big shtick I have, right? That every moment in front of me took every single thing to happen exactly like it did for 13.8 billion years for that thing to be in front of me. Do you understand that? Yes. In other words, if, you're, if your great-great-great-grandmother didn't meet your great-great-great-grandfather, you're not here. Okay? And you had nothing to do with that. And I always tell a story that I knew them. They, they come from Yugoslavia. And, and he was a drunk, and she was a Bible-toting Christian, all right? Or whatever. And one night, it was pouring rain, and he came stumbling out of the bar, saloon, and she's about to step in the mud, and he happened to fall on his face, so she stepped on him, and she thought he was chivalrous. He had laid himself down, and it was love at first sight, so if it hadn't rained that night, if he hadn't been drunk, if he hadn't fallen exactly the right place, if she hadn't, don't understand that, you're not here. So every single thing in the universe had to happen exactly like it did at exactly the moment for the moment in front of you to be the way it is. Make sense? It's yes. science. It's true, right? <laughs> How would I not start by respecting that, by appreciating that, by honoring that, by saying, wow, hi. Look at your history, all right? <laughs> Instead of, I like it, I don't like it, I want it, I don't want it, I wish she was taller. You see what I'm saying? It's like, where does that come from? What right do I have to do that to this unbelievable moment that has been given to me passing through time and space? All right, that's where I got. Michael, this, <clears throat> this um, voice, this inner life, this uh, like this uh, appetite to be devoted to frivolous preference to treat these frivolous these frivolous preferences as if they are somehow coordinates by which we all live it seems to me do not 
live in a vacuum, but have a, a direct correspondence with the cultures we live in. Perhaps, of course, because to a degree, those cultures have been created by that voice across the aggregate of human experience, as we generally live in a society where we regard ourselves as individuals, identifying primarily with our egos, which at essence, perhaps are that voice. So it's it, it can be very challenging to first observe that voice and then to unpick the many, many threads that tie us to the neurological pathways or the mental space that you were describing when you think of the way that uh, media operates, the way that marketing operates, the way that uh, patriotism or patriarchy, all of these various sort of dominating structures exist. And how are we as individuals going to extricate ourselves from and alter those processes? And do you have, uh, and is it conceited or foolish to have ambitions to change those structures? Can it be done? Does it interest you? Beautiful question. Well put. All right. <clears throat> so I'll address it from two different angles. One is I, I love the fact that you talk about the 12 step and AA and different things you've been through. They're hard to break. Those habits are hard to break, but you found at some points in your life that it's beneficial not to let those things run your life. I don't see this as any different. Just because society is programming you to be a neurotic, uptight weirdo, not you in particular, right? just humanity, right? Is just because that's what has happened, right? doesn't mean that I have to participate. If I'm able to see something high, just because everybody drinks doesn't mean I have to drink. So I'm, I'm tying it back to the same thing, all right? And it just so happens that it takes the exact same effort that it takes someone who wants to get off of drugs or alcohol or abusive behavior, right, to break those patterns as it does to break the entire pattern of your relationship to the ego. Now, when you talk about society and changing it and how hard it is, this is where what I've come to see after all that, I've been doing this for like 50 years, right? Is we have experiences. That's what happens every moment of our lives. We have experiences. They come in. Some of them are pleasant. Some of them are not. And that doesn't mean we're judging them. Like a rattlesnake rattling happens not to be pleasant. It's, a, it's the Buddha nature of the rattlesnake is unpleasant. All right? A butterfly flying around you and landing on your arm is very pleasant. It's just, they call that the nature, everything has its nature, right? The trouble is that we can't handle that. And there was this consciousness inside, it's the soul, the Atman, you, you, you in there, hi, you <laughs> in there, can't handle that the butterfly left. So you hold it inside your mind. You can't handle that you saw a rattlesnake. So you hold that experience inside your mind instead of letting it go and be an experience that you had and you grow from it, you learn from it, you, in a Freudian's term, suppress it, hold on to it, resist it, and you start building inside your mind a model of what you like and what you don't like. And Skinner says, <clears throat> man is the sum of his learned experiences, which is what you're saying, right? You have these experiences and they don't really program you. You program yourself by holding on to them. So if you hold on to the rattlesnake and it stays in your mind, even though it's not there anymore, you're going to get afraid of a rope. You're going to be afraid of a baby rattle. It's typical psychology. 
right? Because you built a model inside your mind that said rattlesnake, no, butterfly, yes, this woman, yes, that behavior, no, and you start building this whole model inside your mind. And that's why that voice talks. That voice is the representative of that model. Your voice says very different things than other people's, right? And so does mine, all right? Based upon the experiences you had. And if you have another experience, it may say something different. Like if you had really nice, go ahead. If you had really nice experience with a blonde when you were young, you say nice things about a blonde. But now you had a bad experience, you say different things about a blonde. Yes, I appreciate the the uh, the inflections and accents that relate to uh, personal experience. Um, but whilst, um, of course, there are inflections and nuances to our individual experience, uh, as you've uh, said, but that, that may bias or create particular um, instantiations of ego, there are, it seems to me as well, uh, essential experiences that relate to appetites. Um, for example... When my preferences, likes, dislikes, the um, the egoic um, sort of biases that you've described, when they are motivated by sexual appetite, say, or appetite for status, that is when they feel especially powerful. Are you still able to uh, cre uh, create that noticing that you're noticing space? in quite entrenched patterns that are, for example, to use a word that grows ever more controversial, natural, natural impulses to procreate or dominate or whatever they are. Right. It, you know, you're talking very deep, right? So certainly the physiological aspects of what Freud liked to call the id, you know, just the, the sexual drives, the hunger, the this, the that, you know, the basic animalistic instincts. Okay, let's call him that instead of calling him natural. We live with an animal. Our body is an animal. It evolved, evolved up, right? Your consciousness are aware that those drives and impulses and issues are going on, right? Of course, as a society, we don't all give in to all of those. We'd be killing each other, right? It's like you know, we have evolved above that. The body still has those impulses and it's, that's the it. It's typical Freud id superego stuff, right? So basically, the, you, the consciousness, are evolving to a higher level to where that does not run your life. The question of whether you participate in it at all is none of my business. It's just that, of course, you are higher than a lower animal species. You have a higher mind. You have a higher emotional capability. You have mostly consciousness is clear enough to say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be aggressive right here. I've been aggressive before. It causes problems. I don't believe that's the way to get stuff. I think respecting other people is a better way to work in this world. You have the right to say that, don't you? All right. I have no idea if a dog has the right to say that. I don't want to get in that discussion, right? But you know, you are the highest evolved species, which means you have evolved beyond your animal instincts. They don't, they don't run everything. They're there, okay? But you can raise your energy up. What you get into to have a real discussion with me about this, you get into the chakras, you get into yoga, which is something that is a major part of my life. Not working with them, but having experienced the difference between whether your life force, your shakti, your chi, your energy is centered at chakra one, two, or three, or whether it's up here in six and seven. And what you're feeling all the time is ecstasy and joy and just waves of bliss because your energy has evolved to a higher center. So you are capable of that. 
What level you want to live at is none of my business. What where I'm at is I want you to understand, and I don't go to my way. You know, if you want to talk, we'll talk. All right. I I want you to understand that there are higher levels to live in. All right. The heart is a higher level. We all know that than the third chakra. You know, than dominating and so on. To respect people, love them, care for them is a higher thing than to beat them up and threaten them and do all that kind of stuff. All right. Could you have tendencies if somebody upset you to do that? Yes. Are you evolved enough to bring your energy up, let go of the lower tendencies, and you can bring the energy up to a higher level, and, and it is much more gratifying to you and to the other person, I guarantee you. So the question is, are you willing to do that work? And if you decide to do that work, you're going to have to work with that voice inside your head. That voice inside your head generally represents the lowest part of your being, right? It's, it's going to, like, I'm sure we take, I'm not picking on you, but take the example when you're trying to stop smoking, I'll do smoking instead. It will tell you to smoke. It's okay. Just once, come on, I'll just do it once. I'll try again tomorrow. That's the kind of thing it does because it is the expression of your habitual patterns. Call them neuropathways. I don't care. It's just habit, all right? If you don't raise above that, you won't raise above it. If you do the work necessary, to bring yourself up, to bring your energy up, to bring your heart up, which everyone can do it. It doesn't matter. I did 30 years of prison work with some maximum security prison, right? These guys are in for murder, rape, everything, right? There's nothing wrong with these people, right? They made a mistake. They gave in to something, sometimes once in their life, one mistake, right? And now they want to meditate. They want to learn. They want to read the books. They're just unbelievable. Not, not all of them, but there's a lot of beauty there, okay? Said there was a line in one of the latest movies that came out that said, we are all greater than the worst thing we ever did. And that's very beautiful, right? So the question is, are you willing to raise yourself? That's what we're talking about. Is it true that there is a, quote, lower self, that there are lower drives and lower instincts, and all of that stuff is there, right? I mean, if you're divorced, you know, most people don't get along with their ex. I think it's really beautiful when people do, don't you? You know, to see, oh yeah, we, we still work with the kids and blah, 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 blah. That is raising above the natural tendency to close down, lock it away, and get upset every time you hear their name. So that's what I'm talking about. It's just overall, everyone knows it's worth doing it a little bit, but they don't know is you can get really high. They, they, uh -huh. Who's in there is very high. So the, the when people enter into, say, for example, a, a journey of recovery, recognizing an addiction, most obviously to chemical dependency, it, we look at the chemical dependency, we make a decision to, uh, to uh, abstain, to surrender our connection to this chemical dependency. But what you are illustrating, Michael, is that, that really it is the m mental and physical network of the inner life that leads to that behavior and that if you're to con if you were to continue to follow the path of surrender you would ultimately surrender the whole matrix of patterns you would we you would arrive at a point where you observe the whole thing not only addiction to chemicals but addiction to particular types of relationships particular type of responses particular type of way of driving the car uh, reacting with self-pity if a person says a thing that you don't like all of these things could be regarded in the same way as you would uh, a more clearly 
external object like a like a glass of wine or some drugs or like you know that these that the thoughts can be regarded as ex- external objects that we can choose to engage with and be dominated by or we can observe now like how do we i suppose you know one of the things you have said is that that we can that there is that there is work to can be done so that you don't dwell in the as you described them the lower chakras the systems of domination the systems of desire but that that energy that chi can travel up to the sort of a place of coronation a place of divine access in the higher chakras um would you mind awfully telling me how to do that What's so beautiful. First of all, I want to compliment you for how you described what I was trying to say, because obviously it is exactly what I'm saying. And obviously it isn't because I said it, it's because you've done some work. Otherwise you wouldn't explain it so well, right? Your thoughts are external to you. If I'm, if, if, if I'm watching my thought, it's not me. If somebody comes up to you and says, my mind's driving me crazy, whose mind, right? My heart hurts. Since he left, my heart is breaking. How do you know? How do you know? Because you're in there. No one wants to pay attention to these basic truths, right? You're in there experiencing your emotions. You're not your emotions. Your emotions change. You say, oh, my emotions changed. (laughs) How do you know? All right. So there's one consciousness in there that's watching nice thoughts, not nice thoughts, sexual thoughts, super ego, you shouldn't be sexual thoughts, just all of it, right? I mean, if it says, oh, I want this, then it says, you shouldn't want that. The same consciousness saw both of them, correct? (laughs) People talk about Sometimes my mind's fighting. I can't decide. It's fighting with itself. How do you know? It's one consciousness. And then I like to ask people, yesterday, did you notice it was in there? Ten years ago, did you notice you had thoughts? You're the same being. There's just consciousness. It's an amazing thing, consciousness, all right? I like to ask people, when you were ten years old and you looked in a mirror, right? Did you see the same body you see now? No. Was it you looking? The intuitive answer is yes. When you go to sleep, I love this, Russell, all right? People go to sleep, they don't even think of it. They wake up and they tell someone, oh, I had this amazing dream last night. Who? You were sleeping. I don't understand. Who had the dream? It's obviously the same consciousness that was watching the dream as the consciousness that's now watching the world. So there is this state of your being, which is your true being, your essence, called consciousness. Your thoughts are separate from that. They are something you are conscious of. They are objects of consciousness. Your emotions are objects of consciousness. So the question becomes, do you want to explore self, the nature of your being, or do you want to get all involved in the thoughts and the emotions, all right? And now you've asked, how do you not get involved? It's really not that complicated. You just sit there and say, I'm driving my car, I'm trying to get somewhere quickly, and there's someone in front of me driving 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. What am I doing? Well, I know what my mind's doing, and maybe yours is too, right? It's cursing the guy. What's wrong with you? Didn't you see the sign? Where'd you get your license at Sears? You know, it's just, no one's hearing you. You're just causing yourself tension and anxiety. Why is that different than drugging? Why is that different than yelling? Why is it different than anger? You're doing something completely destructive inside your head for no benefit. I'm a businessman. <laughs> Cost-benefit analysis, the benefit's zero, the cost is 100%. We would not make decisions like that, all right? So you decide, I don't want to do that to myself. The same as you decided, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to drink, I don't want to do drugs anymore, right? You just decide, that's not healthy. Why can't I drive down the street 
Yes, I notice he's driving slower. He or she is driving slower than I like to. But you know what? It's the way they like to drive. Who am I, God? Why should everyone drive the way I want to? I like five miles an hour below the speed limit because the cops won't get you. And they like 15 below because they think it's safer. All right? And you just, you let go. You let go of the part of you that's making this noise. Now, you brought up a good point. Do we have to change all the neuropathways and all that stuff? My experience is no. In fact, that's not what you should be doing. You don't have to make lower self, higher self. You just sit in the seat of consciousness and let go. So if it's sitting there saying, I don't want to do this, let it go. It's hard. That's right. Go ahead. Yeah. Like for me, it will be like, you know, the, the driving example is pretty regular. Like I'll often go, right, I'm, I'll look around and think, oh, oh, maybe I can drive around that car. I'll drive around it. I'll go on the other side of the street. I'll do like, because like um, I've not fostered undue connections with civilizing forces and I'm generally biased towards anti-authority, I'm always looking to reiterate that pattern. Oh, I can do this. I can make this decision. But I am being governed by this peculiar um, inner monotheism. I am my own negative God. I am obeying the commands of this God. I am offering these dictates to the world. This is how long things should take. This is how other people should drive. The other area where I feel it is say, you know, I'm married, I have two young children, is around uh, like sex. Like I feel like, um, well, now that I'm in a monogamous, faithful relationship, maybe I feel like, ah. I want to look at pornography. Now, I feel myself thinking, right, now the the impulse to look at pornography has now emerged. It's emerged. What are we going to do with that? And sometimes, Michael, I just don't have enough resources. Like, I feel it is. When you're an addict, man, it's sometimes you, like, you the diving in to the the stream of that albeit malevolent distraction it somehow serves the same job as god the idea of being held by it the idea of being submerged immersed lost in it it's can be very challenging to live at that crossroads and and to you know and to where from where do you draw the necessary strength well first of all again you're describing it perfectly right and i love that you called it god And I'm going to shock you by saying, I agree, right? But you have to understand what's happening. What's happening is, and this is something you're realizing and you will come to realize more if you do the work. Inside, deep inside, it is way higher than sex. It is way higher than the ultimate moment of sex all the time, pouring inside of you high. What somebody feels when they sit there and addicted to pornography and they're sitting there looking at the screen and feeling that energy, it's chi, it's, it's shakti, you understand that? They're feeling that energy. The reason they're feeling it is because they've opened. It's something their mind likes, so the mind has opened, right? Take, take a very religious person that thinks it's disgusting, put him in front of the, in front of the pornography, they are not going to feel that energy, <laughs> you understand that? Because they're going to close. So this thing about opening and closing We use those words, but you should understand what it is. Your mind has the ability to close, just like blinds can close, all right? When it closes, energy can't flow because it closed, right? And so you're not able to, like like a cloud across the sun, you don't see the light. It's still there, right? But the mind is closed or the heart is closed. So either of those close, you get dark, you get depressed, you get tired because you're not getting energy, juice, shakti, call it whatever you want, spirit, 
all right? When something is happening in front of you that opens you, such as seeing your wife or girlfriend that haven't seen for years, you've been in the army, you come home, or you win the lottery, or you're looking at the pornography, I don't care, all right? Whatever it is that opens you, which will be specific to you, do you understand that, right? Because of the patterns that you built inside your head, okay? The different things that would disgust one person, turn somebody else on, all right? And I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's based on the psychological, that's what psychology is about. What patterns got stored in there? Uh-huh. If the if what is unfolding in front of you matches the positive patterns you've stored inside, you will open. It happens naturally, right? If you're not, they tell you as an alcoholic, you better you better realize it's not going to be a three month don't drink. You're going to see a drink again in two years, and your tendency to go back there is enormous, right? Because your mind patterns are used to working that way. So I'm going to call it opening and closing. So when you open, what you're going to feel is what a Buddhist monk feels when he goes deep in meditation, is what, not quite as much, what the Buddha felt when he went into nirvana, what it means in the Bible, the rush of holy waters. I'm not, I'm perfectly open to say that's a spiritual experience, a very low one, because it's conditional. It's conditioned on having the world outside come in a certain way, in a very certain way, very specific, so that you will open. And when you open, what you're feeling is actually spiritual, all right? No one wants to hear me say that, right? But I'm not judging. You're feeling a high, right? Drugs can do that. By drugging your mind, you understand that? Especially these psychedelic drugs that people do, right? By drugging your mind, you don't get as attached. You get open. And and what you're feeling, the drug is not spiritual. What you're feeling is self. You're feeling Shakti, all right? So the question is, do you want to conditionally limit yourself to getting the moments in front of you exactly the way they need to be so you can feel energy? Or do you want to clean out the system so you can feel clean it the all system. the time? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to try and manage the external world so that the coordinates are correct for me to have some uh, sub inferior spiritual experience based on the conditions of the material world, some de facto synthesized materialist version. Not that the material world is not spiritual. I recognize it's all one. I, I understand that. But so what I want is what techniques do you tell me what to do? Okay. I, I'm telling you. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so simple, but people won't do it. Right. You can go on big retreats. You can meditate for, I used to meditate six hours a day. I don't do it anymore. (laughs) That was way back 50 years ago, right? Is the problem is that you have these conditions inside that you stored inside your mind that determine whether you open or close. They are telling, they they don't even tell you. They're just doing it. And when it's open, the mind talks one way. When it's closed, the mind talks another way. Mm. They need to go or you need to stop paying attention to them. So little by little, every minute of every second of your life, that's real yoga, real spiritual growth, right? Every moment things happen that either turn you on or turn you off. (laughs) And and let's talk mostly about the ones that turn you off, right? We close all the time. I don't like what she said. I don't like that she's sitting. I don't like how she did her hair. Oh my God, how could she be like that? I can't believe, look at her, wait, this is ridiculous, right? It's just constantly espousing the noise that you built inside yourself. That's the noise that keeps you closed. You understand that? That's what makes it conditional. All right. So you decide I'm in here. I notice it. I'm not going to go with it. You start by not going with it. So you don't open your mouth and say, hey, lady, you, you know, person, you, you're walking weird <laughs> or something like that. You, you don't express <laughs> it. 
because when you express it, you reinforce it, just like a habit, like it's just like getting off drugs or anything like that. You just decide, I'm not going with this. You're not renouncing anything. You're letting go <clears throat> of lower patterns that keep you closed. And I'm telling you, it works. They write me from all over the world after reading the books. <clears throat> it shocks me, still amazes me, right? I, I did this, I meditated, I did all this stuff. But when I read The Untethered Soul, and it talked about letting go of myself in those very personal moments, it all started to change. And all of a sudden, there's all this energy flowing inside of me. You ultimately get to the point where you say, I will not close. I see. So those moments that I'm describing, whether it's at the interface of potential addiction or at the interface of potential anger, become uh, gifts, opportunities where where portals for that for to experience this flow state, the holy rivers, the shakti. Uh, it seems to me as well, Michael, that the um, the the you know you said every moment this kind of devotional fidelity that's required is being lived anyway in the devotional fidelity to the service of the egoic voice. So it's in a sense. We're already doing it, but we're serving mammon as opposed to serving the light. Uh, you, that's exactly. You obviously have a deep understanding, right? So you don't work with yourself. That's exactly right. You're going to do it anyways. The trouble is one way doesn't work. There's not a single person that got what they wanted and didn't want something else. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's money. I don't care what it. I'm billion. I always tell this story. If you're a billionaire and you're listed number one on Forbes, you get upset if you're number two next year and don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so you understand that, right? You don't stand a chance. If you, this most beautiful man or woman all of a sudden decides they love you and you're really shocked and it was wonderful and they start dancing with somebody else, you get jealous. In other words, you don't win by playing that game. There's no win in that game, that conditional game. You have to say, I don't want this armor around me. It's garbage. I collect it around myself. I want to be able, my starting position is, I told you, life is unfolding in front of me, correct? Yes. Every moment is the result of every other moment that caused it to be that way. That makes it, in its own way, something very holy, right? It's the result of all the forces that made it be that way, going back through all of time and space. I'm going to start, try to anyways, by respecting its right to exist way more than I exist my right to judge it <laughs> based on my tiny little experiences. That's the other thing for a moment, let's talk about. We think that we're educated and we're wise and we're a very experienced person, worldly, we know things, right? You can only know what you've experienced. You don't know anything about what you haven't experienced. You understand that? Only what your consciousness has experienced. Every moment, even someone as bright as you, every moment, here, look what's in front of you. What else is going on? in your town that you're not experiencing? What else is going on on the planet you're not experiencing? What else is going on in the universe you're not experiencing? In other words, you don't know shit. You don't know anything. <laughs> you understand that? You know it's so small it rounds to zero. It's what you know at any moment is statistically insignificant. And now you go through all those moments putting them together. It's nothing. So what right do you have to take that nothing and judge reality? Uh, That's where you get. Thank you, Michael. Uh, another um, significant 12-step principle is the principle of humility, you know, humility uh, being defined as awareness of one's relative insignificance in comparison to the vastness of phenomena. And it occurred to me, as you were saying, that, you know, I have no appreciation of even what's happening in the town that I'm in, that 
even my direct sensory experience is a series of limitations, sensory limitations within the light range that I can experience, the olfactory and audio range that I can experience, the scale of me compared to the scale of the subparticular, submolecular world and the vastness of the macro world. So I like that idea that it, it rounds to zero. If this is true, and I know that it is what you're telling me, then why is it that the you know you, when you briefly describe the, the Forbes League table and the world of beauty and jealousy why are these why do these continue to be our systems of uh, dominion why do that of why do they continue to be the dominant structures and systems and can we and should we be challenging them anywhere but within ourselves and our own consciousness do we have a duty uh, a mission is it something we should be interested in they they are the way they are for very, you use the word natural, very understandable reasons. If somebody's hurting your arm, you want them to stop. That is ve- that's about as natural as it gets, okay? You, you prefer pleasure to pain. No one had to teach you that, all right? Mm-hmm. So because you stored this garbage inside your head, like every single experience that ever bothered you is still in there, right? If t- I tell people, you wanna know how messed up you are? Go to your high school reunion. You're going to look at every one of those people with what they did 30 years ago <laughs> as if they're the same person, right? None of them are the same. But you remember she did that to me, that you stored that stuff inside of you. And by the way, because we're having a deep talk, I'm not talking about memory. In yoga, there's a term called a samskara, S-A-M-S-K-A-R-A, all right? A samskara is different than memory. A samskara is an impression. Both of them came in, obviously, one of them went right down to long-term memory, the, the white lines on the road, the cloud that passed by. Somebody says, if they hypnotize you, you can all come back. It's all in there, right? But a samskara is something that you couldn't handle. Huh. You couldn't handle that the baby died. You couldn't handle that this and that happened, right? Different experiences happened. You couldn't handle them, so you pushed them away because you didn't want to experience them. You couldn't stop the experience from happening, but you could stop it from fully coming back into your consciousness. You used will to suppress it, repress it, resist it. That causes a samskara. That causes something that doesn't sit quietly inside. It keeps trying to release because you stored all this energy with it. Do you see the difference? So a samskara is different than just regular memory. So basically, because you stored all these things inside, formative years in childhood, all that kind of stuff, because you stored this stuff inside, you now get hurt. If you see the color blue and it reminds you of your blankie they took away too soon, you feel uncomfortable if this happens or that happens. So your ego, that's where you get your ego, your self-concept. You start needing to control the environment around you so you don't feel uncomfortable inside. That's why everybody's doing what they're doing. That's why everybody's doing what they're doing. You understand that? And we all are different because we all had different experiences. So now people ask me, why are there so many wars? Me, I say, why are there not more? Right. Because every single one of your 7.5 billion of you around right now have had different experiences and you stored them differently. Therefore, your comfort zone with the moments unfolding in front of you is different than everybody else's. And you're going to go out there and fight to get it your way. So that's what's happening. You ask me, why do we do that? Can you see that we do it to avoid pain and to feel joy? Right. I stored good stuff. If it happens again. I'll feel great, so I'm going to try and make it happen again. And we're all out there fighting with reality. But I have to laugh. Who are you to try and take on science? 
You're taking on 13.8 billion years of events that pass through time and space and cause the moment to be the way it is. And now you're saying, no, it should be the way I want. And everybody's saying that. All right, now we'll go to your deeper question, which is, do I have a dharma or responsibility and obligation to change that, okay? And what I've learned, it's just me, all right? I've learned that if you can't do it within yourself, you have no right to ask anybody else to do it. And in fact, you will never be able to. Because all you're doing is, I can't handle you and what you're doing. I can't handle that you're driving a Hummer because it pollutes the environment. I can't handle it so much that I'm going to blow it up and pollute the hell out of the environment. <laughs> it's like, do you understand that? If where you're coming from, and it's very deep, is the world is coming in, it's reality, there it is, it's coming in, it's hitting my stuff. And the type of activist I am is I'm going to change it so I'm comfortable with it. I don't need you. You're just part of the problem. You're just doing <laughs> the same thing everybody else is doing. You're trying to dump your stuff into the world, but you're trying to have it your way. And you're saying you're right. Believe it or not, Russell, they think they're right. You have to understand that, right? They think they're right. Hitler did not sit in there think, I'm an evil SOB, and I'm going to screw up this world seriously. He said, I know exactly what's going on. There is a divine race, and I'm going to fix every problem there is in the world. All right? And that's what everybody else is doing, aren't they? But they yeah. think they're right. Uh, well, well, no one's right. Not like that. Right is, the world comes in, I'm at peace with it. Doesn't mean I don't do anything but I can handle it. I am comfortable with, the Christians say, this is the day the Lord hath made. Then why don't they live like that? If this is the day the Lord hath made, where are they fighting with everybody? What's going on here? All right? You say, this is reality. To me, science, religion, same. All right? Science says, this is reality. What's in front of you is the result of all the forces came together that made it be that way. Respect that. First, get comfortable with it. Now, look and see if there's something you're supposed to be doing, now that you're not acting out of your personal self, you're acting out of clarity. See the difference? All right? So you're not, I'm not out there trying to change you because I can't handle you. I handle you. Yes, you're like that. Yes, you did this. Yes, you killed somebody. Yes, whatever. Whatever it is, okay? Now, I'm comfortable with that. Now, is there something I can do to help? Is there something I can do to serve? Not I need to change you for me. All right. So that that's the depth of Buddha. That's the depth of Christ. That's what all the deep teachings are. Right. First, come to peace. It's not so easy. First, come to peace. Then look to see if you can be of some help. That, that's that's where I got. All right. I tell I teach a lot of kids come out from my lectures. I teach them the highest life you can live. Forget helping the highest life you can live is that every moment that passes in front of you is better off because it did. You can't get higher than that, right? And you can only do that if you're done with yourself. Mm. Yes, yes, I understand. Thank I you. know you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. What did Christ say? I'm a nice Jewish yogi, but I, I, I love Christ's teachings because they are the true teachings, right? You must die to be reborn. You have to die of that personal egotistic self in order to be your true self, all right? And at that point, it all happens. Yes, 
I understand. So regardless of the particular uh, colours or persuasions that happen on the material or intellectual plane, whether it's communism or fascism or nationalism or anarchism, as long as it's an expression of people's personal preferences, it has the same sort of energetic, essential quality and will always jar. So uh, the, the famous Irish joke, you can't get there from here. So like, it, it, firstly, we must arrive at that personal point as um, I've heard Eric from uh, said that uh, the, the priest preaches the word the prophet is the word the prophet is the word no need for the it becomes the omission of it the omission the yeah the eminence um, so I, I wonder then that when you talk about uh, ascended and enlightened masters like uh, Christ uh, uh, Buddha that there it's that there do you think that the subsequent expansionism of religions such as islam christianity judaism all of them really uh, do you think that the subsequent expansionism is more to do with a human tendency to institutionalize and create power systems than a genuine altruistic desire or mission to spread enlightenment or say yogananda who i know is an important teacher to you uh he like why come from india to america first of all, first the of all is, yeah, yeah there to me and i'm not saying i'm anything it's just me right there's a vast difference between spirituality and religion i am i am very spiritual very, i've devoted my entire life growing spiritually and i don't have anything to do with religion all right i'm not against it i understand it helps people it's etc etc et right? right but, but this yeah. this question of everybody has to believe the way i do and be of the faith that i am that, that's a major problem right i mean that that just creates division amongst people and a lot of, a lot of uh a lot of problems a lot of disturbance so and when you talk about someone like yogananda all right the answer is first achieve yourself all right. Until you're at that state, you have no right to be spreading it out. Like you said, they're out there spreading enlightenment. They're not out there spreading enlightenment. They don't even know what it is. Okay. All right. If it, Ramdas, who passed recently, passed a beautiful soul, once said, you can only get as high as your psychiatrist. <laughs> okay. Well, it's the same thing with religion or spirituality. You can only you can get all- as high as the person who's teaching you. All right. So first raise yourself. Christ said it, right? Don't worry about the splinter in somebody else's eye. Worry about the log in yours. You, you without sin, throw the first stone. Every single thing he taught is exactly these deep truths, which is first let go of yourself. Don't worry about everybody else. And the amazing part is when you let go of yourself, everybody's helped. Somehow the Dalai Lama's presence in this world or high beings are not going to be working in this world, changes a lot of things, not just who they meet, right? It's a tremendous energy that shifts. It's, it's bigger than the individual when somebody it's raises something. themselves above themselves. Hmm. It is, it's uh, somehow non-local. It's somehow not yeah, confined to material or individualized forms. It's beyond, it's beyond that. Oh, that's uh, really, really uh, amazing. What what is your life determined by now? What what do you do? Do you teach and write? Yeah, both. Yeah. both. I I've, I've, I teach I te- uh, at the temple three times, uh, three days a week, three, two nights, plus Sunday morning, and I've done that for forty five years. 
right? right? And the and patterns the pattern. are beautiful. I just have these patterns that naturally happen and I just do them, right? And it's it's such a peaceful, beautiful thing. And I have time to write. I have time. I, have I, run, time. I run still. You know, we, the temple got very big. We have 950 acres out here. So you, you end up running a lot of things, all right? So it's a perfect balance of business and those responsibility, working with people, teaching, writing. And I just don't ever have to think about it. I just do what's in front of me. And it just somehow works out. It just keeps unfolding. I don't have like a plan or a mission or a feeling of I'm supposed to be doing something. All right. To me, what I'm supposed to be doing is being at peace with life as it unfolds in front of me and serving what gets given to me to do. Yeah. Yeah, simple. That's amazing. That's amazing. I understand. I I focus now on letting go and achieving this state and then I don't need to spend any time constructing elaborate plans which in a sense are just another expression of the original problem of I can't cope with the outside world I'd like it to conform to these patterns you know and as an addict I'm quite fortunate that it's been presented to me in very obvious ways drug addiction is obvious sex addiction is obvious they're such vivid things they're clear to identify they're not insidious culturally uh, validated processes like you know codependency or obsession with work or obsession with your own identity or living in a capitalist consumer um, sort of mentality that is sanctioned so widely that it's difficult to spot that it's anomalous. So I, I've had that lesson taught to me again and again. So yeah, it should be something I can uh, act or not act upon. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't able to hear half of what you said. The, the screen froze and I didn't hear any sound. What I was saying, Michael, is that uh, I, I used it to write a very brief poem about you. Uh, I improvised a song <laughs> of, of adulation where I compared you to a, a contemporary American mystic, a Jewish yogi, a, a, a spreader of awe and wonder. And I would like to, I didn't really, I was just sort of just, you know, rambling on. But like, I, I would love to come and see you there in, in your temple. It sounded, I was very like struck by it when you were describing the process of the construction and the, and the way that it came together in the surrender experience. And having read the surrender experiment after reading Untethered Soul, which in, in some places is, in, like I would say, was the, the simple true message. It's a, a demanding book in some respects. It, it's a, it t takes you quite deep. You know, it's a, it's, it's challenging. It's difficult because the new age genre can be quite frivolous and again just the repackaging of how do we reiterate our individualism how do we how do i get become enlightened so i can you know climb up that forbes list or so i can get a better girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever but like uh with untethered soul i felt oh wow yeah this is going deep i you know i i recognize that i, I would love to come there can i come there you're welcome to come here. we have some nice accommodations and nice just let us know just let us know when you want to set up we'll when take you Oh my God, that's amazing. Michael, th thank you very much for making the time to come and do this phone call. Thank you for your work. I, I really felt and understood the the way that you have described these processes, which as you have said, in, like can be like, found in various spiritual 
disciplines. I recognize the distinction you made between religion and spirituality, um, but it gives me a great deal of hope and actually sort of quite clear guidance as to what my next steps are, that my focus will be on staying in the right state and trusting and surrendering as you have done to astonishing success in from every conceivable angle. Very beautiful. So I, what I want to see is that people don't set their aspirations high enough. Every moment of your life can be ecstasy. Even while you're doing work, even while you're doing your podcast, even while you're dealing with money, it, there should be this joy, this overwhelming. Somebody once wrote a poem, a saint once wrote a poem. He said, oh, what hast thou done to me? Wave upon wave of ecstasy saturates me day and night, throng upon throng. That is that. going on inside of you right now. Find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. How beautiful. How reassuring. Can I say, like, I mean, it's something I ask people that, you know, when I, on the rare occasions when I speak to people who appear to occupy the space or unspace that I aspire to and occasionally glimpse or taste, I say, when was the last time that a, a preference dogged you or bothered you? When was the last time you felt your ego say, I'm not doing that, I want to do that? It, it, has it happened to you in the last 48 hours? Has it happened to you in the last week? Has it happened to you in the last year? It, it, it's, 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 uh, if it says it, I don't listen to it, so it's not an issue. And, and what's beautiful about now, Mickey, he knows I'm not going to listen to him. You understand that? He, he doesn't even bother. He knows nope. that for years... He'll talk. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to listen to life. I'm going to pay attention to a deeper thing than him. So in general, he doesn't bother him. He just sits there. And plus, it's worked out very well for him. He's not stressed. He doesn't feel tension. He's a happier camper, too. That's what's really neat, right? He doesn't need all that junk inside driving him crazy. So it's just it's a natural state where it doesn't be like that. I'm not very high, by the way. The master's are way past. That's what I love. Like somebody said to me the word enlightenment. I'm going to close with this, all right? Yogananda, somebody once went to Yogananda and asked him, what do you experience as a yogi that came here in 1928 and ended up teaching Carnegie Hall? They they lined around Carnegie Hall five times to go in as he taught, right? And there are pictures of him, this tiny little yogi with a turban on his head on the stage with thousands and thousands of people. And they asked him, what do you feel? Do you feel pride? Do you feel you're helping? What do you feel? And this is what he said. He said, well, you're sincere when you asked me, so I'm going to give you a sincere answer, right? One, at the same time that I'm sitting there talking to all these thousands and thousands of people, my consciousness is also at a higher plane with my guru who left years ago, Sri Yukteswar, teaching his students, and at the same time, expanding at the speed of light throughout the universe, all right, feeling every galaxy is my body. All of those things are happening simultaneously. That's what enlightenment means. So don't don't let anybody misuse the word. <laughs> that was beautiful. Right. That's who you are. Oh, wow, man! Thank you, Michael, for taking the time to uh, to explain those beautiful uh, concepts, truths, so articulately, humorously, passionately, and vivaciously. I'm very grateful to you. Thank you. All right, Russell. Thank you. It's a pleasure right. talking to you. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin with Michael Singer. Let me know what you thought of it on 
this is a gram. I'm Russell Brand there. Or tweet me at Rusty Rockets on uh, you know Twitter with a hashtag under the skin. Or follow me on TikTok if that's your thing. Or LinkedIn. Remember, I'm in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United States with Recovery Life. Come see me. Come feel the noise. Come taste the rainbow. What was that? That was a product. Taste the rainbow. What was it? Skittles. Yeah, no, don't do that. Actually, they're actually quite bad for you. Uh, so go to russellbrand.com. Get on the mailing list. I love you. Why don't you go and listen to me talking to Deepak Chopra or Simon Amstel? You'll like either of those things. And check out my YouTube channel regularly, just throughout the night, set an alarm. And uh, don't miss a single thing. All right, I love you. Russell Brand, Loom Media. Bye.